You're listening to Root Lock Radio. Hello and welcome to Root Lock Radio, a podcast for uncloaking, learning, and exploring the tarot cards. My name is Weston, I live in New York City, and I'm your host. Today's episode is the season finale of season two of Root Lock Radio. And in this episode, I will give you a big announcement that I'm pretty excited about, and then I'll spend some time tying together some themes from the season. Then, after that, I'll answer some listener questions. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Rulock Radio. It's been a really big week for me, a lot of things happening, including the fact that I celebrated a birthday on Monday, and that was really fun and special, Special, and I had a great time. And another big thing about this week is that this is the season two finale of Root Lock Radio, and I can't believe I've already been through 10 episodes uh, released weekly. It's been a lot of work and a lot of fun, and I've really enjoyed being back uh, on the air. And so I'll probably be back again with more episodes, a new season, in I'd say two to three months. I'm going to spend some time getting organized and figuring out what I want to cover in that season. Um, But in the meantime, I would urge you to follow me on Instagram, subscribe to the email list, Um, If you haven't already done those things, that's a good way to stay in the loop because I may very well have other offerings in the meantime, and those are ways to find out. And the biggest announcement, I feel, for this week is that the Rootlock Tarot Book of Spreads is out now. I released that for my birthday, and this book contains 33 original spreads that I designed, and it also has an appendix that works as kind of a guide for creating your own spreads. And I'm really proud of it. I think it looks great. My friend Caro did some design work on it and made it look really nice. And I am just really pleased and proud of this. Next to Rootlock Radio, I think it's the thing I'm most proud of in my tarot offerings. So I would love to encourage you to buy it. It's on my website and available for purchase. So I'll put a link in the show notes. And I just want to thank everyone who snatched it up on Monday. I had a little bit of a promo on my birthday and a lot of people bought the book and it made me feel very special. And so I just want to say thank you to everyone who did that. So I thought I'd spend a little bit of time covering some themes that came up over this season. This season was not as organized and structured as the first season of Rootlock Radio, uh, but I definitely, looking back at the episodes, can identify some things that came up frequently. 
and I kind of want to just cover those and try to kind of tie them together before going into some listener questions. So the first thing that I think came up a lot this season is the idea of, of what is tarot for? And for me, the idea that tarot is a therapeutic and reflective and guidance-focused tool that you can use for self-reflection and figuring out positive ways to move forward. And one way to do this and, and find that guidance, right, is to consider the idea of sort of distorted thinking. And this is something that I brought in when I talked about formulating tarot questions, as well as when I talked about creating tarot spreads. And what's really problematic about these ways of thinking and these ways of drawing this into your tarot readings is that it really can invite anxiety into your tarot readings. So one way that happens, one type of distorted thinking, is acting as if you can know the unknowable. This creates a strong draw to think from a place of anxiety because we have a negativity bias, right? As humans, we are often focusing on the negative because that's where the danger might lie. And ultimately, a lot of our thinking is coming from a place of survival, which is maybe something we don't really realize a lot of the time. So one way that you can kind of find yourself trying to figure out the unknowable is projecting the future in a way that feels static or or predetermined, right? So when we put a future card in a reading and we think of it as this is what's going to happen in the future, we're very likely to really project maybe some of our hopes, but a lot of times our fears into that card. And scaling that back and shifting it into a, more of a what can I do to create a future that I want is a better way to go about it. Another way that we can act as if we can know the unknowable is reading the minds of others, right? So using tarot to try to figure out what someone else is thinking when they haven't told you. Again, there's a lot of invitation to anxiety in that. And that can steer us away from using tarot in a guidance-focused way. So again, coming back to what can I do? What can I focus on for myself in this situation? How can I get the outcome that I want? And then another way that we can kind of think in a distorted way is thinking with binary or all or nothing ways. Um, This comes up in reading reversals sometimes, right? Thinking okay, if the card's upright, it's good. If it's reversed, it's bad. Or if it's reversed, it's opposite, right? This is another all or nothing or sort of binary way of thinking. And when I talked about reversals, I said, think of it more as some sort of disruption or alteration of the energy of that card. Not necessarily some sort of binary situation where it's the opposite or it's the bad version. And another place we can run into binary thinking is gender right? And gender binary is sort of this trap that limits our ability to think freely. So I try to do my best to break out of that when I'm looking at the tarot cards. And there's a lot of invitation into thinking in binary ways around gender in tarot, because we have, you know, like the emperor and the empress, and we have the king and the queen. And there are a lot of places where if we allow ourselves, we could see a strong binary. But if we start to step back and look at the subtle differences between those cards and start to think of them more as being on a spectrum and not 
attaching ourselves so much to the idea of male and female, then we can really open up our readings in a lot of ways. Another recurring concept this season is this idea that we contain multitudes. So this is why we often feel internally conflicted, I think. And when we're feeling internally conflicted, this is a time when we often turn to the tarot, right? We're looking for guidance. So if we can become aware of these different parts of ourselves that are present and often in conflict with each other, then we can begin to understand what parts are driven by fear or reactive emotions and which parts are driven by striving toward what is most healthy for us, right? So if we can kind of parse that out and think, I'm feeling conflicted about this because there's some parts of me that are really scared and there's some parts of me that are really confident and I'm not sure what to do about this situation. If you can begin to like really unpack that those parts and understand them, then it can help you to kind of get some clarity about how to move forward. And tarot is a really good tool for that. And also this idea of us containing multitudes, every person containing multitudes, there's something cool about the way this can open our minds to different ways of being and identifying as well. So again, moving away from like a, a binary conceptualization of gender can allow us to consider other ways of being from a gender standpoint. So being trans or non-binary or fluid, right? These are all ways that we can step away from a binary. And also becoming aware of these multitudes that we contain might help us to understand, well, what is the unique combination of something like gender that makes up me? Are there different parts of me that feel different places on the gender spectrum? And what does that mean for my overall gender identity? So it's a really interesting way to start to think about it and to think that maybe you have a lot of different parts of you that relate to something like gender in a lot of different ways. And something that I introduced that was very much aligned with thinking about parts of yourself is the internal family systems informed way of approaching the court cards. And kind of just in summary, to remind you, each card, each court card, is considered a part of ourselves. And so when you draw that court card upright, it's asking you to bring that part forward and act from that place. And then if you draw that court card reversed, do not act from that place because it's kind of in some reactive or hurt place, but actively work to soothe or nurture that part. And I think we, hopefully you, really saw this come alive in the last episode when I talked about the pages as our inner children and sort of identified the different, the four different archetypal children that the pages are and how those might come up for us. I also drew on concepts from AEDP and I talked about the change triangle from Hilary Jacob Hendel's book, It's Not Always Depression. And I used that triangle to consider ways for us to move past anxiety or guilt or shame, which are really kind of blocks, right? that hold us away from exploring core emotions and processing or healing when we work with those emotions. So that's something that I talked about in relation to those three really challenging sword cards, the eight, nine, and 10 of swords, and how they're kind of invitations for us to get out of our heads and into our bodies and to find those core emotions. So when I look at 
all of this, all these different components that came up in this season, what I see is an overarching theme toward turning inward, exploring what is inside, and gaining self-awareness. And through this, acquiring skills, right? So by turning inward and reflecting and exploring yourself and getting that self-awareness, you actually acquire skills that help you in the world. These skills are things like navigating emotional distress, moving through internal conflict, undoing shame around your identity, tolerating ambiguity and unknowables, combating internalized stigmas, identifying places of agency and places where you lack agency, and then finding out how you can work towards acceptance in those places where you don't have control. And these are all skills that help us with our mental and emotional well-being. And so tarot really is a tool that helps us to improve our mental health by encouraging us to reflect inward, and through that inward reflection, getting to know ourselves better, getting to understand what's going on when we're feeling distressed or we're feeling conflicted or other things like this are going on. And then these skills emerge, right? Tarot helps us to develop those skills. So I'm kind of in awe in thinking of it that way and looking back at this season and kind of seeing that emerge as this overarching theme is something I find really cool and exciting. If you'd like to support Rootlock Radio, consider making a pledge to my Patreon page. A monthly donation of $5 or more will get you access to supplementary materials to future episodes, as well as a private online discussion forum. You can join that by going to patreon.com rootlockradio, or by following the link on my website. If you're new to the podcast or new to tarot, you may want to go back and listen to season one, which is episodes one through 16. Those episodes provide a structured and comprehensive course in tarot. I've also just released a 48-page PDF companion guidebook to Season 1 that you can purchase for $20 and download on my website, rootlocktarot.com. So today I'm also doing something that I've never done before, which is answering listener questions on the air. And I'm kind of excited about this. I asked for questions and you sent them in and I got some great ones. So my first question comes from a person named Shelly. Um, and Shelly wrote and said, Dear Weston, my question is related to the Six of Cups card and the girl with two faces in the Rider-Waite-Smith deck. Do you see an orange face and yellow hair in profile looking at the boy, or a yellow face with orange hair looking towards the ground? How do I interpret this? I haven't really seen it addressed properly, and I'm curious. Do you even see it at all? It reminds me of the crone maiden illusion I saw when I was young. Thank you for allowing me to email this question and your take on the tarot itself. You have a wonderful podcast. Thank you, Shelley. I really appreciate your question and I appreciate your kind words. 
And to be honest, I have never noticed this two-faced situation on the Six of Cups. So it's really kind of cool to have this pointed out to me, and I definitely do see it. I definitely do see it. So I've been thinking about this, and the first thing, I often like to go to the numbers, right, and think, okay, is there anything about the number of this card that can help me figure this out? And the Six of Cups, right, is the number six, which is associated with the Lover's card. And the Lover's card is associated with the sign of Gemini. And Gemini is a sign of duality, right? Of splits or multitudes of identity, of sort of having two faces in some ways, which sounds really uh, bad because of just the connotation we have around that phrase two-faced, but can also be kind of cool, this duality. So when I look at these faces, I kind of see a co-occurring experience of deep connection and unfixable isolation. So that child with two faces, one of those faces is really looking at the other character or the other figure in the card, and there's a deep sense of connection, and at the same time, this other face is really looking down, and to me that feels like a very like isolated feeling. So there's something kind of existential going on here. This idea that we can deeply connect with others and yet still ultimately be alone. Or that we can always be alone while at the same time feeling deeply connected to others. Like these two things exist at the same time. Which is very Gemini, right? That sort of, how do you have this dichotomous split existing at the same time within one person? And something I see in the Lover's card is this question of how much you can truly merge with another person. When we think about falling in love or these sort of relationships, there's so much going on, right? Part of it is the connection with that other person, but part of it is really about yourself and finding a connection with yourself, too and receiving love, and being open to receiving love, which requires you to be pretty vulnerable, right? And it's complicated. So I guess what I'm saying is when I see that split, or those two faces on this card, I begin to think about that, that sort of duality of like deep connection and isolation, utter isolation, that is part of the human experience. And since the cups are the emotional suit, I think there is a way of capturing that essential truth because emotions like love are about striving for merging with another person while at the same time acknowledging that you can never fully merge with another person. So I hope that is a helpful reflection. That's what I see. I didn't really respond to the part about the maiden crone. You know, I would be interested to hear, Shelley, what you are thinking about that. But yeah, that's what I see. So here's another question from uh, Gabriel. Hi Weston, I am a listener based in London, UK. Gotta say, I always am kind of blown away about how people all over the world listen to this podcast, so little reminders of that are cool for me. But anyway, um, back to the question. Firstly, I want to thank you for providing such a unique platform of sharing your experience and understanding of the tarot. I'm relatively new to reading the cards and your podcast has supported my studies of the Rider weight system significantly. An aspect of the cards that still confuses me are the different ways and even rules around how to and who shuffles the cards, as it seems to matter even which hand one uses and ways to cut the cards. Hope you can give us some pointers. 
Thanks ever so much, and please keep the podcast going. Best wishes, Gabriel. I promise, Gabriel, I'll bring the podcast back. And to answer your question about shuffling and cutting the deck, I say there are no rules. And this is something I feel really strongly about, about tarot in general, that there are no rules. And so what I would say is I would urge you to develop your own style from your intuition, what feels right to you. But here are some things that you can consider. So you have options, right? You can shuffle and draw the cards. You can shuffle the cards and have your client cut the deck. Or you can have them shuffle. You can fan the deck out and have them pull cards out. It's up to you. And some questions you might want to ask yourself to figure out what feels right for you is, do you mind if other people touch the deck? Because some people really don't want other people touching their deck. I don't mind. I usually let the person cut the cards, or if they want to shuffle, they can do some shuffling. But if you're a person who doesn't like when someone else touches their deck, some people think it contaminates the deck with that person's energy, that's you. If that's you, then that's, that's a strong feeling, and you should go with that. But some other people think it feels right for the other person to touch the deck because they're coming in contact with it. So if that feels more right to you, then go for it. Another thing, sometimes I have a a number come to my mind when I'm shuffling and that kind of, I use that number to guide me for how many times I'm gonna shuffle the deck. So if I get like a four in my mind, I'll shuffle, shuffle it four times. But again, these are all things that just have emerged from my intuition and it's up to you. And my real main takeaway from answering this question is don't let anyone tell you that there are rules in tarot. It's your practice, and you can take and leave whatever feels right to you. And that's true of shuffling, and that's also true of a lot of other things. Like, for instance, some people think you need to have your first deck gifted to you. And if that feels true to you, then fine. But if it doesn't, then go with what feels right. So, no rules in tarot. The next question is from someone on Instagram. Tarot Tater Tot is their Instagram handle. Um, And they said, Hello, Weston. Love your podcast. As a beginner, it has been very helpful. I have a book by Sasha Graham called 365 Tarot Spreads. And often the questions in there are yes or no questions, such as, am I doing the right thing? Could you maybe do an episode on how to interpret cards as yes or no answers in these cases? Well, in this case, I'm not going to do a whole episode on it, but I will let you know some of my thoughts. In my opinion, these kinds of yes or no spreads or placements and spreads are just too binary, and binaries tend to invite anxiety. So a question like, am I doing the right thing? Yes or no? It's too binary. It's not really giving you much guidance. It's just kind of giving you this like almost dead end answer, right? So what I would say is if you like the spreads in that book, to modify them if that feels right for you. This is what I would do at least. Practice reframing the questions in more open ways which can be difficult at first, but you can get the hang of it, I think, if you try. And so something like, am I doing the right thing? You could reframe that question into something like, what should I be aware of with this situation? Or how can I approach this situation with integrity? Something like that. Some way of opening it up so you're you're capturing that same essence of that question, but not in a way that's so closed off, yes or no. And, of course, I would recommend checking out my book of spreads. I think my spreads can model for you how to word questions, 
And it also has an appendix that is a, a guide for creating your own spreads. So if you don't have my, my book of spreads yet, check it out. I think it, it's, it can be helpful for someone who's wrestling with this. And then another suggestion is to follow people who often post spreads on something like Instagram, and you can look at how they word them, you can use their spreads. So a couple that I would recommend would be Lindsay Mack from Tarot for the Wild Soul. She's Wild Soul Healing on Instagram and posts a lot of great spreads pretty frequently. And then uh, another one, Sarah Knight, who is the Curious Card Slinger on Instagram, typically posts spreads around new and full moons, and they're really lovely. So those would be my two recommendations, and I'll put those in the show notes. Next question comes from Rachel on Instagram. So I only really read for myself, but I tried a reading for my husband. He doesn't like tarot readings, and I found out he is scared of the cards. He said he is scared of the death card, and right as he said that, the death card jumped out while I was shuffling. I tucked it away and never told him, but I'm wondering what are possible reasons for that to happen. I usually add cards that jump out into the reading, but there was no way I would do that here. My interpretation was for this reading I should take out the scary cards. I just want to see if you have any other ideas. Thank you. Well, I did talk a little bit about how to interpret cards that jump out of the deck in episode 8, so you can go back and listen to that. But for this, I think I want to take a step back, and I think there's a great parallel here to my work as a therapist. So many people come in to a therapist's office and are nervous or anxious or scared, and they don't want to share what's going on, right? They feel uncomfortable being there. And when this is the case, my task is not to pry at them until they open up, but I want to create a sense of safety and trust so that they feel comfortable, right? That's what I, I'm taking a step back from trying to figure out what's going on with them to working on establishing that feeling of safety and trust. And I can also provide what we call psychoeducation. So this is giving someone an idea of what therapy is gonna be like, how it can help, the parts of it that might be hard, just kind of tell someone what's gonna happen, what it's gonna be like. So with your husband or anyone who feels a little freaked out by tarot or particular tarot cards, you could take the scary cards out. That's okay if you if that feels right for you, no rules. But it seems to me you might wanna just spend some time talking about the tarot before doing a reading for him. So even though he's your husband, he's scared, right? And so you can work to establish safety and trust, not necessarily with you, but with Tarot, right? His relationship to Tarot is not yet feeling safe or trustworthy. So you could spend some time talking to him about it and teaching him what to expect, telling him what, what Tarot is good for, what it will help him do. So something that I might do is let him know I only read to help people, and to help people reflect and find guidance in their lives, I don't read to predict the future, especially something like a death. That would just never come up in one of my readings. And I would also want to teach him what some of the scary cards mean. Like if someone tells me I'm scared of the death card or I'm scared of the tower, I would 
pull those cards out and talk about those cards and answer any questions and really just try to get that person to a place where they're not scared of them before I even start reading for that person. Another thing you can also do is consider getting a deck that tones down the scariness. So there are lots of decks out there that are sort of similar to the Rider weight, but reframe the scary cards, as you're calling them, to make them more tolerable for people who are afraid. So a lot of decks will change death into transformation or rebirth or something like that. So those are a couple things you could do. The next question comes from Valmora, and they said, thank you for such a well-planned season, Weston. What are your, what are the ethics of reading for someone who doesn't know you're reading for them? Someone you're close with, like a family member or partner? Like right now, my partner is looking to change jobs, and I'm looking for direction to help him make the best decision. Thank you for your question, Valmora. Many readers won't read for someone who doesn't know that they're being read for. And I think this does make sense from an ethics standpoint. I can just understand kind of feeling a little iffy about doing something sneaky like that, right? It's not very like direct and straightforward to read for someone who doesn't know they're being read for. But for me, it's not so much about ethics as it is about effectiveness. And what I mean by that is that when you read for someone else, like a partner who's looking for a new job, there is a lot in this situation that's not in your control. There are things that are not in your partner's control, like what job offers come through and what jobs are available. But then there's this extra layer that's not in your control, like the effort that your partner puts into the job search or their level of motivation or any feelings or you know, frustrations that they're having. And this can get frustrating, right? If you're maybe coming from a place of wanting to help or wanting to fix the situation. So, you know, the goal should not be to try to control what someone else is doing. So, the way you could use tarot in this situation is to figure out what is in your control and to figure out what isn't and that you just need to accept. Figure out what things are hard for you. It could be a little bit challenging sometimes to feel like you're not sure how to help. I know for me that can be really hard. So tarot might help you to figure that out. But what is in your control? You know, how you choose to support your partner, any efforts you make to assist him, the way you respond to his feelings and thoughts about this job search. So I would ask the tarot questions that focus on you. Something like, how do I best support my partner in this job search? Or how do I let go of my feelings of wanting to fix this problem that he's experiencing? Or how do I identify the best way for me to help? Something like that that focuses on you and ways that you can begin to develop an understanding of what you can and can't control in this situation. So the next question comes from Arbon, and the question is very short. Can you discuss the process of naming your project Rootlock Tarot? Thank you for your question, Arbon. Well, I encountered the phrase Rootlock in a yoga class, and I remember the idea was about drawing your energy downward, and for me that was really thinking about this like stabilizing and grounding energy. And I just kind of like the way those words sound together, root lock. And so when I was going to name my tarot project, it just kind of came to mind. I didn't really think about it all that much, to be honest. I just named it Rootlock Tarot. But when I think about it now, <laughs> um, this idea of like grounding and stabilizing, I definitely see tarot as a tool for grounding. 
So I do think it's an appropriate name in that way. And I also just love the visual of it, like imagining roots digging down and locking into the ground. You know, I love trees, and I love their power and strength and stability, and the idea of those roots digging down into the ground and locking, like, I think there is something there in how I approach tarot. So, thanks for your question. Next question comes from someone on Instagram. Their handle is ce.rx. How do I interpret the Seven of Swords when it comes up in the challenge position during a Celtic cross reading? I've been really struggling with that one. And there's a pretty upset looking uh, emoji at the end of the question. So I have to say, maybe I would need more information to really guide you through this, but I think I can, I can try. So it really depends on the question as well. So what you're asking because the meaning of a tarot card in a spread is not only the card's meaning and the meaning of its placement in the spread, but that meaning also emerges in relation to the question you're asking, right? So that said, there can be a lot of challenge energy that does come up in the Seven of Swords. So when I'm thinking about challenges with the Seven of Swords, you know, I see that there's someone acting on their own where it looks like they could probably use help. That's a lot of swords to be carrying. There's even some swords that they're not able to carry that are on the ground, right? There's maybe some signs of deception or greed coming through in this card. So the situation at hand, I would have to ask myself, like, do these concepts resonate with me as a potential challenge in this situation? Am I at risk of doing something without asking for help? Am I at risk for being deceptive or greedy? Or might I be receiving that from the situation somehow, from someone else, or from just the way the situation's set up? Am I sort of on the losing end of deception or greed? And of course, any challenge, right? You said this is the challenge position in the Celtic cross spread. Any challenge, in my mind, is an invitation to figure out how to move forward effectively. So if I know this is a challenge, what do I do about it? Do I have the power to change it? Like if it is sort of a doing things on my own where I need could use some help, do I ask for help when I need it? Or do I kind of acknowledge that I'm being a little bit deceptive or greedy and figure out how to do it differently? And if it is out of my control, then what do I need to accept that I cannot change, right? Anything that is not within your realm of influence, that's often an invitation into acceptance. So. Again, it's pretty context-specific um, with the question you're asking, but I hope this helps you in thinking ways that the Seven of Swords could present challenges in your question. Next question comes from Carrie. I know you covered the Hierophant in the first season, but can you briefly talk about the card again? I can't divorce him from organized religion and the negative, oppressive aspects of tradition and orthodoxy. This is my least favorite card, and I tend to think, nope, he has no advice for me that I'm willing to take. He is outdated, and his teachings give people an excuse to hurt one another. Where is the nuance in this card that allows me, a person with negative feelings about religion, orthodoxy, and tradition, to be open to receiving messages from this card? Thank you, Carrie. This is a great question. So, first of all, you know, I think one thing to unpack is it sounds like you probably have some pretty negative experiences with organized religion and orthodoxy and, you know, really being able to acknowledge that those feelings are getting triggered here is an important start, right? Because once you kind of name that, 
then you can figure out what to do with it. But I think the Hierophant card, I try to open up what this means to not be so much about religion. I think of the Hierophant is more widely a card about indoctrination and being exposed to and taking in ideas that are usually of a spiritual nature from another person or perhaps an institution. So it could be church or religion or orthodoxy, but it doesn't have to be. For example, I think listening to this podcast is a very hierophant experience. You're absorbing ideas of a spiritual nature from another person who's me, and hopefully you aren't thinking that my ideas are negative or oppressive, and so that's an alternative, right? Just absorbing these more spiritual ideas from someone who you trust and who you agree with and who you feel aligned with. And I do think, of course, the Hierophant can have some oppressive nature to it, but I would consider that more if the card came up reversed, right? Then there's some sort of like corruption or alteration of this energy into something that is more negative. But that said, as I said in the episode on reversals, I also sometimes consider this idea of rebellion and resistance when the Hierophant comes up reversed. So I would keep my mind open, right, and try to understand what the situation at hand is and what is coming up for me around the Hierophant coming up with a particular question or situation. So I hope that helps you to think about it in a different way. Next question comes from Witch and Wolf. Witch and Wolf says, as a child-free by choice married woman, I'm having trouble applying the Empress to anything else but fertility. How else can I view her? Oh my god, there's so much more than a fertile woman or a mother to the Empress. Those are just like the archetype, right? Which is the starting point. It's a way of representing or symbolizing concepts that are really complex, right? That archetype embodies qualities, but when we start to identify what those qualities are, they're way more flexible than the archetype itself. So in the case of the Empress, Sure, fertility is there, but I also think of like nurturing. Um, remember that this is the period in the fool's journey when they are being taken care of and kept safe and are growing and developing to the point where they can have some basic sense of independence. So that's kind of what is happening in this period of the fool's journey. So in a reading, the Empress can capture that energy. Is there something you, you are growing right now or something that you can nurture? something that you want to keep safe for now while it develops. Even this word you use, fertility, can be really flexible and adaptable, right? Fertility in what sense? In a sexual and like reproductive sense, but also fertility in having like fertile ground to grow things or like a fertile situation where there's like lots of opportunity and, and lots of possibility. So generally speaking, you know, I would use the archetype and the point of the journey as a starting point in considering what that card could mean, but then let your mind be pretty creative from there. And you can also look at the imagery on the card, maybe see if anything in the imagery stands out to you with the particular situation you're in. Be open to ways you've never seen this card before coming up for you. And also another data point you can look at is the number right? So with the Empress, the number is three, and I always think of this as a growth number. So think of a triangle, right? It's like striving upwards from its base. And 
you can also look at the three cards in the minor arcana and see what else you find. Is there any sort of theme that comes up for you across all the three cards? So, you know, I'm giving you some possible ways of thinking about the Empress, but I, I find that I'm also urging you to develop some tools of your own and to interpret this card in ways that are unique to you in your tarot practice. So, hope that helps. So that's it for listener questions. I know there are a couple that people sent me that I didn't get to, but I appreciate everyone for sending in the questions and for listening to this season of Rootlock Radio. And I assure you, I will be back soon with more episodes. It won't be like last time. And I just hope that you all take good care of yourselves and I will talk to you soon. Bye. Rootlock Radio is a podcast for uncloaking, learning, and exploring the tarot cards. It's written and produced by me, Weston. Music for the podcast is provided by Shenandoah Davis and Jeray. To support Rootlock Radio, please join our Patreon community at patreon.com slash rootlockradio. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time for Rootlock Radio.